Hi, this is Mark. I'm one of the senior pastors from Hope Church Malmesbury. I want to personally thank you for downloading or listening online to this sermon cast from Hope Church. We, we share these messages because they really spoke to us. We value their, their content and uh, the anointing that's upon them. And I pray that they bring a fresh revelation of God's love for you today. And if you're able to support the work of Hope Church and the cost of sharing these messages online, then you can go to our website, www.thehope.church give and follow the instructions on that page. And if you're every mum's on a Sunday morning, you will always receive a very warm welcome at Hope Church. And now, let's join today's message. Good morning. We're so glad you could join with us this morning. Now, many of you know that I watched football last weekend. What you might not know is that I have no idea about the rules of football. Now, I've picked up the gist of it here and there over the years, but there are things that I just don't understand. The one thing I do understand, however, is how to win the game. You win by getting the most goals scored. Life can feel a bit like a never-ending football game, can't it? (laughs) We go through years aiming at goals with a sneaky suspicion that everyone around us is holding yellow cards up at our performance. We know it's likely to all end in penalties, and we're pretty sure that God has a red card in his hand ready to present at us in any moment. Similarly to my experience of football, I've picked up the general gist of life rules that culture places on us. Um, But there are things about culture's life rules that I just don't understand. However, the one thing I do understand, the one thing I do know, is how to win the game of life. You win by following the team captain, Jesus. Seriously though, life is not about scoring goals nor about avoiding yellow cards. Life is not how fast you are, how clever you are, how lucky you are, how talented you are, how good-looking you are, what colour you are. Our culture tries to tell us that these things matter, but they really don't matter to God. He doesn't want you to score more goals than the other team. He wants to grab you and hug you, whether you score or miss because you are valuable to him you are way more than another player on his team you are his child you are the apple of his eye he sees you like no one else could ever see you Last week, Mark preached on the calling of Levi, or Matthew, as he's sometimes called, the tax collector. Same man, Levi and Matthew. Same man. Jesus saw Matthew like no one ever else could. Jesus called him to be his disciple, and Matthew was so pleased that he threw a really big party. And this may, in some part explain what happened next. So let's get into it. Luke chapter 5 verses 33 to 39. And they said to him, 
The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says, the old is good. Jesus is questioned because apparently he and his disciples are just too happy. They all seem to be having far too much of a good time. Have you ever come under condemnation for being too happy? It can really annoy some grumpy people when we're happy. But listen, children of God, we always have something to be happy about. So go ahead and annoy a few folk. Anyway, we're not completely sure who's posing this question to Jesus about fasting. Luke doesn't clarify who they are, but it looks like a continuation of the earlier interaction with the Pharisees. However, in the Gospel of Matthew, it has it as John's followers who ask this question. Whoever it is, it is someone who is likely observing strict fasts and cannot see any evidence of this religious observance on Jesus and his followers. Now, at this time in biblical history, the frequency of one's fasting was seen as a sign of their true devotion to God. Pharisees observed two fasts a week on Mondays and Thursdays and they made it apparent that they were fasting by putting ashes on their head or other outward changes in their appearance. And John the Baptist was well known for keeping to strange fashion and dietary choices and his followers were clearly fasting regularly as part of their commitment to God. So this, it's in this context that this question is brought Why do the followers of Jesus feast rather than fast? And Jesus begins to unveil some of the purpose of his ministry. New rules, new rituals, new response. New rules, new rituals. Jesus turned what holiness looks like on its head. His response to the question about fasting is to reference a wedding feast. Now, in that culture, a wedding was a very big, joy-filled, multi-day event. And during these festivities, joy would be elevated above religious rituals. So, if during the several days of the wedding feast, a usually required ritual would have been due, it was allowed to be overlooked in order to keep the joy flowing This was a well-known thing and observed by all the believers of the day. So Jesus' listeners would have recognised this in his answer. Religious rituals are not required during the wedding feast. 
By referencing the wedding feast, Jesus was saying that while he was with them, his disciples should elevate joy above ritual demands. And he may also have been making a small nod towards the bridegroom picture of God that we read in Isaiah 62 verse 5. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. You know, this encounter with Jesus in Luke 5 isn't heralded in many commentaries as a large messianic claim. But personally, I think there must be a little bit of a nod towards his status as God in the fact that he describes himself here as the bridegroom at the wedding feast. Anyway, whoever is asking the question does not seem to have particularly good intentions. And though it is technically a question, let's be honest, it comes over more as an accusation. How comes you get to skip fasting, Jesus? It's a bit funny, really, because Jesus himself fasted 40 days in the wilderness. It's not like you could ever accuse Jesus of not being serious about fasting. Who of these people had fasted for that long? Yet, here they are with accusing questions, twisting the picture to make Jesus out to be a fun lover who wasn't taking his relationship with God seriously. I know that feeling. I live my life believing and standing on John 10 verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Life in all its fullness. Life abundantly. Joy, fun, happy moments, laughter. These are part of an abundant life. But I've met people who just don't like the fact that a devoted Christian could have fun. It's like they think you cannot be serious about God if you can laugh so much. Well, let's just remind ourselves where accusations against us actually come from. Revelation 12 verses 9 to 10 says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. The devil is called the accuser of the brethren. And how do we overcome him? Well, let's read on. Revelations 12 verse 11. And they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives, even unto death. The blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, and the word of our testimony silences the devil and his accusations that are designed to make us fall off track or second guess ourselves or wonder if we're just not being holy enough and not scoring enough of life's goals. Guys, it's all lies from the father of lies. God loves you. You are enough for him just as you are. Remember, Romans 5 verse 8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died 
for us. You are loved no matter what. No entry requirements for his love. That is what Jesus' death on the cross accomplished. You know, he reset the password to access heaven. New rules, new rituals, new response. You cannot earn your way into God's favour. You cannot accomplish it yourself. All you can do is accept it as a gift. You know, the old rule was keep all the rules. The old ritual was present sacrifices for where you fail to um, keep all the rules. The old response was feel bad and realise that you're doing a pretty bad job of keeping all the rules. Jesus changed all of that. The new rule is no sacrifice needed from you. The new ritual is agree with Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And the new response is receive his gift of salvation with a thank you, Jesus. So, if you want to receive that gift of salvation today, pray this prayer on the screen with me now. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you died for me. I believe that you are risen from the dead and that you're coming back again for me. Come into my heart, forgive me of my sin, wash me and cleanse me, set me free. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Give me a passion for the lost, a hunger for the things of God and a holy boldness to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm forgiven and I'm on my way to heaven because I have Jesus in my heart. Amen. That's it. The new ritual has been accomplished. You are a child of God. Nothing else is required and all joy is yours. Romans 15 verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So now, please, don't be knocked off track by accusations that come from the pit of hell. Stick your fingers in your ears, Hold on to your status as valued child of God and live life to the full, abundantly, until it overflows with joy. Anyway, back to today's passage. Luke 5 verse 34 to 35 says, And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. So here we have a dark note. The day will come when Jesus, the bridegroom, is taken from his disciples. And then fasting will be part of the disciples' lives again. Jesus is prophesying his death. And he's assuring his critics the day of fasting for his disciples will come. So the question for us is, should we be fasting? In my opinion, the short answer is yes, until he returns. And the early Christian church certainly did. There was a document in the 2nd century AD that gave Christians instructions on fasting. Here's a little excerpt. Be careful not to schedule your fasts at the times when the hypocrites fast. They fast on the 2nd, that's the Monday, and 5th, that's the Thursday, day of the week. 
Therefore, make your fast on the 4th, that's the Wednesday, day, and the preparation day, that's the Friday. So maybe a fast on Wednesdays and Fridays is a good way for us as the modern church to go to. I don't know. I don't know the right amount of fast to suggest for you. You know why? Because there are no rules. The ministry of Jesus brought in new rules, new rituals about fasting. Not rules about religious observances, just a simple rule. The one simple rule. It's between you and God. Here's what Jesus said immediately after he taught his disciples how to pray. Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you fast assumes that you will fast. Jesus assumes fasting will be part of our devotion to God. So I assume we should. But the new rule he sets over fasting is that no one else should know about it. You should wash and fix your hair. Your outward appearance should not be negatively affected by your inner commitment to God. Or as I like to put it, no looking glum because of the rumbling in your tum. We see the early church in the book of Acts apply prayer and fasting together to important tasks. Acts 14 verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 27 gives us a good reason to fast. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And Paul further backs up these thoughts by talking about the importance of our flesh, our feelings, not leading us, but instead being fully submitted to God. Romans 8 verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For me, the act of fasting is mainly to send my flesh a message. That it's not in charge of me. You're not the boss of me. <laughs> My flesh and its desires for food are simply put in their place. My flesh and its greed is put in its place under my spiritual needs. A need, a real need for the bread of life, Jesus. And practically speaking, when fasting, the time it takes to cook or eat food ordinarily can be used, of course, to pray and spend extra time with God. Anyway, the point to make here is that Jesus doesn't demand the rituals and rules that the old-time religion of his day did. However, that doesn't give us a get-out from fasting. Just observe the new rule of fasting, which is keep it between you and God. Now, 
Jesus then makes use of this incidence of criticism to teach something even more valuable. The religious way of doing things was not going to work with Jesus's ways. Luke 5 verse 36, he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. Imagine buying a new pair of jeans and you bring them home and you tear a piece off to patch up your old worn out jeans. Whereas Theobald would say, it's like sprinkling glitter on poop. All you do is waste the glitter and the poop is still poop. Hmm. Don't I feel silly now? You know, the act of tearing a patch from a new garment will destroy the new garment. And the old garment will also be worse off because of it. Because a new fabric patch on an old garment will pull the old garment out of shape. This stretching will most likely tear the old garment too. The only reason you might ruin a new pair of jeans to repair an old pair of jeans is that they've become so comfortable and worn in that you cannot bear to let go of the old ones. Jesus's ministry brought something new that the old fabric of the adapted Jewish culture could not cope with. New rules, new rituals, new responses. Jesus is part of God's plan from the beginning. Let's be clear, he was not coming against God's plan. He is God's plan. But the Jewish rituals had grown beyond God's instructions and their religious rules incorporated extra things that were never part of the origin of the faith through God. The Jewish rituals had got stretched out of shape. They were old and warning rituals that Jesus' grace and salvation could not coexist with. We do not want to shrink the message of Jesus to fit with old practices. Jesus went on with this same thread of teaching. Sorry, excuse the pun. Verse 37, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. Let me just briefly teach you a little bit about wine keeping in Jesus's day, because I don't know about you, but when I think of a wineskin, I imagine one of these. But actually, in Jesus's day, it was actually more like this. Well, really, it was the empty body of a goat tied off at the head, tail and leg areas. The skin of a newly killed goat was pliable and flexible and when the wine fermented the skin would expand along with the wine. But old skins were usually dry and brittle. New wine fermenting requires that expansion. Old skins would just not have the flexibility and they would burst if new wine was stored in them. What a waste. New wine in old wineskins. You can't fit 
the new life that Jesus brought us into the old, inflexible ways of religion. That's even clear from this earlier conversation about fasting. You know, Jesus didn't come to reform Judaism. He wasn't taking an old religion and improving it. Jesus was starting something new. Jesus didn't come to patch up old practices. He came with a completely new set of clothes. He formed a new institution, the church. And this was to bring Jew and Gentile together as a new thing, one new thing. Ephesians 2 verse 14 to 18 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. New rules, new rituals, new responses. The Pharisees had a habit of creating rules and rituals that concerned external issues. But God is not concerned with outward appearances. God is always more concerned with the heart. God wants to renew our spirit. God came in the flesh of Jesus to redress the balance between spirit and flesh. The Holy Spirit could not be held in their ancient wineskins. It would make them burst and the new wine would spill out everywhere. When we come to Jesus, we are made new. Whatever our upbringing or background is irrelevant because we are made new so that we can hold the new wine of God's Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 sorry, says... Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We cannot keep parts of our old thinking or old life and then try to add in all that we get new from God. The new wine cannot just be poured into the old skins. Jesus closes these comments off with a sharp observation about humanity, Luke 5 verse 39. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says, the old is good. You know, our modern culture can get in the way a little bit, I think, of understanding this phrase, because what we're not talking about here is lovely oak-barreled aged vintage wines. I suspect that these primitive wines in these goatskins may not have been quite as wonderful as an old vintage wine. But either way, Jesus is not saying here that old wine is better. Jesus is saying people are hard to change their ways. They get comfortable with the old ways. They think of them as better, like the old wine. It becomes a taste they become used to. The new wine, the new garment that Jesus brought, requires a new response. Jesus didn't come to get rid of rules, rituals or the need for a response. He came to establish a new way of thinking, new rules, rituals and response to God. 
The funny thing is that as I wrote this, I became increasingly aware that many non-believers do not think of the Christian faith as new. It's old in our society's opinion. To hold to a Christian faith is to hold to old-fashioned views, according to our culture. But think for a moment. Let's go right back, way before Jesus, very nearly the beginning, and look at human nature when Noah lived. This is the description we read of how people were behaving. Genesis 6 verse 5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You know, long before Jesus came, there was lawlessness, selfishness, wickedness, evil. These things are older than Christianity. Christianity is newer than what the world calls New Age. Christianity is newer than scoffers and unbelievers. People think they're so modern to not believe in God. Yet, that's something that's always been the case. There's always been unbelievers. The main problem is that some parts of Christianity are old and worn because like the Jewish religion of Jesus's days, the rituals and rules have in some places become more important than the heart and spirit. This is why at Hope Church, we do hold so tightly to the Bible as our only source. You know, the Bible is timeless. It does not age. It is never old-fashioned because it's the living word of God. Something alive is not dead. Something alive is not irrelevant. It continually speaks into our modern world despite how its critics try to persuade you otherwise. And God is always new. He makes us new. He makes all things new. If you feel like Christianity is an old-time religion, if you think of it as old-fashioned, let me tell you, the creator of the universe is always modern and present and relevant. Think about it. God is a creator. New is what he excels at. Our modern culture, attitudes and desires predate Jesus's new wine. Don't try to fit yourself onto the world's stretched out, well-worn lies. Now, as I close today, I cannot ignore the fact that this sermon title is reflective of the passage in Luke. It's why it came together this way. But it is also a reflection of the weak we're about to step into in England. From tomorrow, the 19th of July, we are going to have to deal with new rules, new rituals, which will require new responses surrounding COVID management. And I think that the timing and title of this sermon cannot be accidental. Now, this has been an incredibly difficult year and a half, And a disease that came so suddenly, almost out of nowhere, appears to be here everywhere to stay. So how and when do we get some sort of normality in life? And as we open the church doors, 
What does that look like? I think it helps to start thinking about what the point of church is. At least this is an insight into my thinking process. Is church a place to receive Christian teaching? Well, honestly, you can do that as well, if not better, online as you can in a personal gathering. Is church a place to meet up with your friends? You know, you can do that in other ways too. So, what makes going to church satisfactory as something worth putting effort into and worth making time for in your day? I'm not, honestly, I'm not trying to talk you out of church. But I suspect whatever practices, or we could call them rituals, that we decide to put into the reopening of Hope Church, there will be split opinions on it. And that's okay, as long as it doesn't split the church apart. I don't want to run a patched up version of church that ruins and tears apart the new possibilities as well as the old warning things. I think I'm posing the question about the point of church today for you to think about. I'm not going to give you an answer. I'm not going to lead your thoughts here. Your response is what will lead your rituals and how you work it out in the coming months, possibly without rules to give you direction. And it really is very much like the situation Jesus was speaking into. He basically said in this encounter we've been reading in Luke today, that through him there are new rules and new rituals, but Jesus is clear, your response is always the most important. I think as humans we find rules actually make us feel safe. When we have no rules, we feel vulnerable. Back in March 2020, or maybe it was April, I get confused, we had to live with new rules, like staying home. And we had new rituals, like mask wearing. And we had to develop new responses, like not hugging our friends and family or singing. But now it's all about to change again. And let's be honest, most of us really dislike change. There's a book Mark told me about called Who Moved My Cheese? It's a motivational business fable based around the idea of mice who have to cope with their cheese being moved. Now, there might be better cheese, but some mice just want the old cheese in the old place. This is an observation of human nature and our responses to change. And it literally sounds like what Jesus was talking about. Jesus brought new wine, but he knew people would want the old wine. Jesus even states that there would be people who wouldn't even want a taste of his new wine. Because they'd got comfortable with the flavour they knew. We know that Jesus brought the original Freedom Day. His really was a Freedom Day and we celebrate it. Oh, happy day. But we can see from his conversation in this passage today that Jesus knew there would be people that wouldn't take their freedom in him because they'd feel more comfortable with the old rules. 
I wrote this whole message around the biblical passage alone. There is more than enough in here for a lesson, right? However, God pointed out to me that this message speaks so much into this week, I cannot just leave it there. Because in fact, the real challenge for us all in these coming weeks and months is how we will deal with the approaching new rules, new rituals and responses to deal with COVID. How do I speak into this? I truly have no idea. But God reminded me that nothing has changed in him. Everything is true now that was true before the pandemic. At the very start of the pandemic, I preached that the letters that make up the word COVID, C-O-V-I-D, could remind us of this truth. Christ over viruses and infectious diseases. This is still true. He is, you know, he is over it all. The news can make us feel terrified at times. But unlike us, God was not surprised by COVID. He wasn't sent into a tailspin of panic. In fact, God told us that these things would be part of the signs of the end of the world as we know it. We can read it in Luke 21, verse 10 to 11. Then he, Jesus, said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. We've all seen that. There'll be great earthquakes and in various places, famines. We've all seen that. And pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. The dictionary definition of the word pestilence is a fatal epidemic disease. COVID did not come along unexpectedly. How long could we go on it without experiencing that part of the alarming list of signs of the end of this age? If not now, when? But take heart. Take heart, child of God. The end of times is the start of times for the follower of Christ. The end of times means the return of Jesus. And for sure, when Jesus returns, he brings new rules, new rituals and new responses. So I pray today that you will be comforted that Jesus has your future securely in his hands. Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. I want to close with us all making a faith response today. So, let's read aloud the words of Psalm 23 as a prayer and a way to claim today the promises held within it over our own lives and our nations. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me Beside still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Now that is unchanging, living truth to live by. Be blessed, church. Have a great day.